If you've got, if you've got your Bibles, can you grab them and uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10? We're going to be there in just a second. Um, but first of all, I just want to share this scripture, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. So turn to 2 Corinthians 10, and uh, Luke 19 will appear on the screen just behind me. Luke 19, it's just one verse. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I I tried really hard to think of a time in my life where I've actually been feeling really lost, like in the middle of a city or in the middle of a country and no idea where to go. I've always been with somebody, even if it was a foreign country I'd not been to before. Um, But I do know what it's like to have a sense of where I need to be, but not sure how to get there. So in a city, I know the place I want to go is somewhere over there, but how do I navigate my way to there? Now, in North America, it's much easier because lots of cities have the grid system, whereas in Britain, it's like somebody's dropped a big pile of spaghetti on the floor and gone, there's our roadmap, let's just do the roads like that. Everybody in agreement? Yeah, okay, let's build. Because that's what it's like. It's just a, a rabbit warren. But I wonder whether even in life you have, you have this idea of where you need to be and how you're meant to react and how you are meant to respond or even how you're meant to live or what your marriage is meant to be like or what parenting is meant to be like, uh, what school is meant to be like, you, but you just, you know where you're meant to be, but you just don't know how to get there and so you feel lost in the middle. It starts off really well. But over a few years, then things start to show themselves, and you realize, actually, I don't really know where I am. Things can get really bad, and you start feeling like you're losing your sense of self or your identity. And and so what our world does is it says, well, it's got lots of advice. This is what you need to do in order to save your marriage. This is what you need to do in order to feel better at work. This is what you need to do to deal with these emotions. But they're a little bit like getting directions that you get a sense, yeah, you're pointing me in the wrong way. I know I need to be over here, but you're pointing me over there. I have told this story before, certainly at the South, so forgive me if I have told it here as well, but my mum and my dad traveled around Ireland, Southern Ireland, many years ago, and, and they were lost, and my dad tells this story way better than me, but uh, they stopped and asked this Irishman who was stood on the side of the road for directions, and, and they asked where this place was, and this Irishman was very willing to help, uh, but very quickly, my mum and dad realized that the directions that he was giving them were actually just not quite right. Because this is what he did. He says, right, he says, you go to the junction, the intersection, and you turn left. (laughs) And my dad looked at him and he said, you you, you turn right? And he went, no. He says, you go to the intersection and you turn left. (laughs) So now my dad is really confused because he's like, well, do I turn right or do I turn left? And he said, and so he very gently asked this nice Irishman, he said, do you, he says, you, when you say left, you're putting your right hand up. Do I turn left or do I turn right? And he goes, you go to the intersection and you turn left. And then he went, you go to the intersection and you turn right. <laughs> so you can imagine my mum and dad drove off going, well, which way do we turn? We need better guidance. We need better advice. I'm not sure whether I want to follow this advice. 
See, I love Google Maps. I'm a little bit nerdy when it comes to Google Maps. I remember when you could, uh, you could use Google Maps to do the, uh, you could do the tour and actually go along the street. How many of you know what I'm talking about, where you can plan? How many of you, the first thing you did was to look to see your house? Which is really silly, because you could just walk outside and look at your house. <laughs> There's my car. Yeah, you, you, it's right out there, but we, I, I'm pretty nerdy. I like that kind of stuff. But what I love about, this is London. What I, see what I mean about Spaghetti. And that's just, that's far away. You get in closer, it's, it's way worse. What I love about Google Maps is it gives you an aerial view. It gives you a big picture. Because when somebody gives you directions or advice, you very quickly forget them and you can find yourself lost again. And our world gives us good advice, it thinks, and then after a while it seems like the advice wears out where if you are lost and you have a good aerial view, you know, well, I need to be over here, but I'm over there, and so you're actually able to plot a route. See, the Bible is a lot like the big picture. You see, Jesus came to save and to seek the lost, and we all feel lost at different times of our lives. And so you see, the Bible gives us this big picture, this aerial view of our life, and and this is what it says to us. Look, this is where you are, because if you read the Bible, and I've said this before, it has a tendency to read you. You read the Sermon on the Mount, within a few minutes, you're convicted about how you are living your life, and it's like you're looking, man, I'm not there. I'm, I'm here. I'm a long way from over there. And so the Bible says, this is where you are, this is where you need to be, and this is how we're going to get you there. And our series, Changed, is all about getting you there. So we turn to the Bible for our big picture. And it also shows us how far away we are. And maybe lots of you this morning are feeling a long way from where you know you need to be, even though you have a good picture of where you should be. How do I get there? And as you read the Bible, you'll see that there are large themes that start uh, coming out from the Scriptures, even some of those tougher books. And the largest theme in the Bible is a story that is greater than our lostness. There's no such word, but you know what I mean. It's bigger than our story, and it's the story of Jesus. You see, Jesus is the ultimate guide. He knows his left from right. He knows how to get us there. And he says, not only will I guide you there, I will rescue and I will take you there. Come with me. He doesn't just point us off into the distance. He says, I will come with you. He's the ultimate guide, the ultimate wisdom. And that is what the Bible is about. Every verse, every word, all points to the big story, the big picture. And his name is Jesus. He takes us from where we are to where we need to be. So how does he do that? How does he change us in such a way where we're actually going to where we need to be, where we're feeling that we're not lost, but we have a guide, we're connected, we know that even though we feel like we're a long way, that we're just making progress. How does he do that? Well, very simply and yet so profoundly, he does two things. What he does is he gives us a new identity and then he transforms us. He gives us a new identity and he transforms us because he says, look, I'm not going to take you from here to here. You need to be a different person to get there. You need to be completely transformed. 
And many of us, if we're honest in this room today, would go, you know what, that sounds good to me. That sounds good. Just give me a fresh start. Give me a new identity. Let me start all over. And Jesus says, look, I can take what is inside of you and I can transform it and make it new. That's the promise of Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why this church exists, to see transformation, real life, actual, practical, not just theoretical. It's not that we're standing over here in Sidcup going, well, it'd be kind of nice to be in Harrow. Not that you would, trust me, I've been there. But it'd be kind of nice to be in Harrow. Oh, well. Maybe I can just look at pictures of Harrow. Again, you probably wouldn't. Let's choose a different place. <laughs> Uxbridge, that's much nicer. You know, let's just look at pictures of Uxbridge. Maybe we could talk to people who've been there. Wow, it sounds so good. I'll never get there. Jesus goes, no, no, no. I will transform you, this is where my analogy breaks down, (laughs) and take you to Uxbridge. I'll transform you. You need to be a new person. Proverbs 4 and verse 23. says, keep, some Bibles say, guard your heart with all vigilance. Some Bible says energy, with everything you have. Guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. I'm going to say and show you a statement this morning that I truly believe because it's biblical, but also I've experienced it. Our life amounts to what we are within. Our life amounts to what we are within. Every decision, every thought, every emotion, every behavior, every response, every reaction amounts to what we are within. From the heart the Bible talks about. From who we actually are. It says our life springs out from what is going on inside, which is why Jesus' promise is, I will take what is inside and I will transform it. I'll give you a new identity. We'll do this together. Many years ago, I worked in a beautiful place called Kimmel Hall. We have a, a picture of it. Um, this is actually not, this is about 20 years ago this picture was taken. It was a house that, I think the next picture shows the kind of the magnitude of the, the place. Um, this house was, this house, <laughs> it's like a city. This, this house uh, was built for a family of four and their servants. Uh, think of Downton Abbey, but amp it up. They actually had a room that was dedicated just to ironing newspapers. Think about that. Take this away. My newspaper has a crease in it. We need to build a room for that. This place was amazing. This was a picture of taken when it eventually became a spa. It's been a, 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 a hospital in World War I. It was a girls' school. And then a little bit later on, it became a, when it was quite dilapidated, it became a Christian conference center. And we would be able to put four different groups in at a time, four different churches. And to give you an idea of the size, you could actually sleep almost 1,000 people in Kimmel Hall at any one time. And the main thing that I know, not only was there lots of bedrooms, lots and lots and lots of toilets that needed cleaning and rims needed fixing. And those of you who will understand, please put your hands up, lots and lots of radiators that needed bleeding. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you can Google it. It was a, it was a great place to work. 
And I think I have a picture of where, off the view. You can see the view there off the North Wales coast, which looks really pretty from this far away. The closer you get to the water, it's not really Fiji, trust me. But, and, and, I, and I pointed out last night, I was very proud that on the right-hand side, you can just see some weathering. I, I did that. I put that on there. I, with my, yes, I spent summer doing that all around the roofs. It was, it was great. The next picture shows you a certain area I want to show you, which is in the top left-hand corner, you can see some tennis courts. I was walking past these tennis courts one day, and, and I noticed there was a, a, like a, a little fountain of water appearing in the middle of the, uh, on the right-hand side as you're looking at it in the middle of the tennis court. And being a tennis player, I knew that that wasn't right. So I, uh, I went to investigate and I knelt down, and it was quite a big puddle, and you could see it was kind of a little fountain in the middle, bubbling up, if you like, and, I, and I, I smelt the water, and it was foul. I just knew immediately this wasn't only not good to drink, this was, this was sewage, this was, this was nasty stuff. And so I pulled out, the, oh, I started to dig a hole, and it was just filling up as I was digging, I was trying to fix it, and it just wasn't working at all. So I pulled out some plans, some of the original plans, and found that from this side of the building here, the courtyard on the right, there was two major pipes that had been put under the ground to take all the sewage away from the 1800s off to a cesspit, which you can't see in the picture. And on further examination, I found that on the left-hand side of the tennis courts, a large rock had fallen off the wall into the pipe just next to an access cover, so you could actually see the rock. So I thought this was way beyond anything that I was able to do with my nail and hammer. So I decided to call the experts. The experts came in, and they brought all sorts of apparatus. But the thing that they did is they had this pipe that shot water at high pressure this way to force the pipe that way. And so they started to put this pipe down the hole because they knew that from the space that it had been, had been fountained up, all the way up to the rock was a massive, this thick blockage of the unimaginable. Of a whole, how many years I dread to think. You're probably talking about 40 foot of this big, this round. So they stuck it down thinking it would dislodge and then they said to me, Glenn, why don't you just go and stand by this manhole cover and let us know when it's coming through? <laughs> Being willing to help and somewhat naive but happy, I went and stood next to the wall looking down the access cover. They were over there going, can you see anything yet? <laughs> no, no, no. Can't. And I could hear, I could hear it, couldn't see anything. And then all, the, the only thing that I can describe was an explosion. This rock shifted and everything just, it came through at such force. It was ridiculous. Completely covered me. Filled the access cover. I was stood there with my Wellington boots filled with you know what. And, and it took me weeks to get the smell of this out from inside my nostrils. It was disgusting. These guys loved every second. They knew exactly what they were doing. You know, as silly and as embarrassing and as wonderful, I just love the fact that God was thinking, I'll let this happen to him because it would make a great illustration in 30 years' time. <laughs> but you see, it's a good illustration of what is going on on the inside. Because there can be a build-up, and it will find its weakness. 
It will find the spot. It'll be a circumstance. It'll be a challenge. It'll be something that happens in your life. It'll trigger this, this kind of springing up, as the Bible says, from what is going on underneath. And it all started with a large rock that had fallen. And this backlog over years and years and years. See, our life amounts to the beliefs that we have about ourselves. Let me say that again. Our life amounts to the belief that we have about ourselves. And the Bible says in Romans 12 verse 2 that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. See, since being young, we are bombarded with beliefs and lies that have this buildup in our lives. These rocks, if you like, that are planted very early on or in your life that have a build-up. Rocks and lies. You see, the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. And he wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. And so he will plant things in your life. And you'll see in a second, it's biblical. I'll show you the scripture where there's a build-up. And if you, unless you deal with that root issue, unless that is transformed, unless that is renewed, unless that is removed, then the build-up will always show itself. You see, since being young, we're bombarded with lies that create destructive beliefs. Let me show you what the Bible says about this. 2 Corinthians, it's not going to be on the screen. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 5. Listen really carefully if you don't have it in front of you. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now historically, the the church has called strongholds behaviors. You have a stronghold of lust or you have a stronghold of... of, of, um, of pride, or you have a stronghold of lying. They're, they're, they're behaviors. Whereas in this context, strongholds are actually thoughts. What's going on inside your mind? What lies are you telling to yourself? What lies have been planted in your life years and years ago that have resulted in emotions, that emotions then lead to decisions, decisions then lead to the behaviors? So how you actually decide and how you function, how you look at life can be tracked back to, often to lies and beliefs that are set up when you're very, very young. Let, let me give you an example. Let's say as a child it was communicated to you either verbally or by actions that you weren't wanted. Maybe that was actually told to you. You were an accident. You're not... You're not important. Maybe they had a favorite and it wasn't you. See, what this does is it then plants a stronghold in your life that communicates to you, I'm unimportant. I have no value. So then we can go one in two ways. We can either set about trying to prove to everybody in the world that you do have value and that you are important and you become very driven And you will step on anybody that comes in your way because you are so driven by this stronghold, this lie. Or you can just become so demotivated and just lean into it and go, yeah, well, I am valueless. I have no value also leads to relationship problems, going from guy to guy to guy or girl to girl to girl because you're desperately looking for value from somewhere and it's all driven by an initial communication that was placed 
the stronghold that results in emotions, that results, sorry, thoughts that goes to emotions, that goes to decisions, that goes to behavior. See this, let's look at it another way around. This is why Jesus says you need a new identity. You need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If this seems strange to you, look at what the Bible says. See, we're given lies and we're not to stand on these lies. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, then I have good news. See, Jesus comes and he destroys these lies. So you can start fresh. You have a new identity. You can look at yourself differently. If you're a Christian this morning, can I encourage you to remind yourselves of who you are in Christ? Do you know who speaks to us the most? Us. We are our greatest influence. And we run these tapes over and over and over and over again. All started from something that maybe happened when you were five, six years old. You're a failure. You're ugly. You're stupid. You're not good enough. You're a disappointment. You are responsible. And that's what we start framing our lives on. If you want more proof, then all we need to do is look at how we self-medicate. So we turn to alcohol, or we turn to drugs in order to find relief of the pressure that is building inside from that original rock that was dropped. Maybe we turn to food, maybe we turn to social media, maybe we turn to TV or movies or books, trying to lose ourselves in it, so we can escape what is actually building up and going on inside. Maybe we turn to sex or or porn or working out. Maybe we pour our lives into our kids or we look for that next man or that next woman or we, or we just focus on our businesses and our career. It's all self-medicating, trying to push down the reality of the buildup that's happening in our lives that at some point will blow. See, the behavior is not the issue. All those things I described are behaviors as a result of. And the Bible says, your heart is the issue. See, the heart is the issue, but what does our world do? Focuses on the behavior. Let's stop this, put that down, don't look at that, don't even go there. Read this, go there, buy this seminar, buy this DVD series, go to the self, we'll, self-discipline, we'll push through, you can do this. And then when you fail, it fills up with guilt and shame that reinforces the whole issue at the beginning. Whereas what Jesus says is new identity. I will destroy that stronghold because we're not dealing with things of the flesh. We're dealing with things of the spirit. We're dealing with those, and that scripture says it, opinions that stand against the truth, against God. See, Jesus promises to destroy the root issue. The greatest need we have as human beings is for this heart to be transformed. That's our greatest need. And if you're here this morning desperately trying to find another answer, there isn't one. You need a new identity. You need to be transformed. And it's only Jesus that promises that. Because let's say it is a lie of you are worthless. You're not valued. What does Jesus say? I chose you before the foundation of the world. You are important to me for the joy that was set before me. And the joy is you and me. If you believe in Jesus, for the joy that was set before me, he endured the cross I love you. You see, that's truth. And Satan hates the truth. He wants you to live your life on the lie 
that you are worthless. See, Jesus died for us when we were still messed up and sinners. He chose to do that. He initiated it. Remember the first scripture? He comes and seeks out the lost. I wonder whether he's seeking you out this morning. Whether as I'm talking, you're going, man, I, this is making sense. I tell lies to myself all the time. So what's the truth? The truth is, is that Jesus seeks you out. He chose you. He loves you. Let me show you visually what this looks like. I want to read two scriptures to you, beautiful scriptures, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. See that new identity? Not just polished, not just like buffered, not taking the old and just trying to, you know, not, not that. New. Like, completely new. As, as a pastor, I've had the opportunity to sit down and pray with people who don't know Jesus, and they come to know him, and you can see the newness in their face. New creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, what Martin Luther described as the great exchange, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let, let me just show you what this means visually. I, I have two volunteers. Actually, I didn't volunteer at all. I kind of asked and they agreed. One of them's Jesus. I'm going to let you decide which one. <laughs> they were arguing about it. I don't want to be Jesus. Who's Jesus? Adam again. You did a good job. Come on, Adam. Okay. Andrew, you come over here. Okay, so Drew is man, mankind. This, strongholds, sin, everything that holds us back, the sin nature. So when Jesus says the the old has gone, this is the old. Everything that we're ashamed of, everything we're guilty of, every sin that we've everything we've omitted to do, everything we've committed, every decision that is against the truth builds up. This is mankind. It's how we're born. If you're not sure, you don't believe me, this is how we're born, wait till you have kids. <laughs> Amen? I don't ever remember sitting down and saying, look, that you need to know how to do something. It'll be an ever-present help in a time of trouble. Let's teach you how to lie. They just do that. Sin nature. And we have Jesus. Jesus who lived the life that we are unable to live. Perfect. It's the only sacrifice that was actually going to be worth or enough to deal with this, which is why God sent him. And Jesus willingly, the Bible said, went to the cross, and this is his righteousness. This is his access to God. This is his approval, the love, the the right standing before God. And so he lived the life that we're unable to live, and then he went and died the death on the cross that we truly deserve because of our decisions and our sin nature. We actually deserve the penalty of death. See, Jesus, see, God is a perfect God. He can't have anything to do with this. And so his plan was to send his son, Jesus. And when Jesus went to the cross willingly, the Bible says something really interesting happened. And if we can look at that scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.21 again, it says, for our sake he made him to be sin." You see, what actually happened was Jesus became sin. 
Bible actually goes further than that and says he became a curse. You see, God couldn't have anything to do with his son at that moment because he literally carried every sin, past, present, and future, for everyone who believes in him. Think about how heavy your sin feels to you sometimes. Think about how heavy your life feels to you. Then multiply it by the cosmos and eternity, and that's what Jesus carried. But the good news is, is it died with him. See that scripture, for our sake he made to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become righteous of God. So it says in Galatians 2.20 that Christ was crucified, and that we were crucified with him. Our sin nature was crucified with him, and it died. So it had no hold on him anymore, and it has no hold on us anymore. And so the Bible says that they become one. And then there's this beautiful scriptures all through the Bible that talks about the robe of righteousness. See, Jesus says now, see the second part of that scripture, you become the righteousness of God. You become the righteousness of God. I've chosen you. I love you. You're my friend. You're my brother. You're accepted. You're approved. So when God the Father looks at us, what does he see? He sees Jesus in his righteousness. But we still struggle. We still have this kind of habit of sin. And for those of you who ever struggle as to whether or not you're a Christian, here's a good indicator as to whether you're a Christian or not. If you are able to carry this without any problem of guilt at all, you're not a Christian. But if there's a tension in your life because it's not who you are anymore, it still leaves its mark. And so what Jesus says is, I'm going to transform this. I'm going to transform it. And over time, this is sanctification. It's going to get less and less until eventually we come into the presence of Jesus and we'll like him. That's what the scripture says. Some of you are carrying this kind of forgotten who you are, you've lost. Some of you are a little bit more closer to Uxbridge. And I like hanging out with people like that because they give me hope. And I can think of people in my history that have gone, man, they just seem to be, I want to be like them when I grow up. You know, but the beautiful thing is, is that Jesus willingly, part of the plan, died so that we could be righteous. So he could deal with the stronghold. Thank you, guys. See, what freaks me out now is I get quite tied up with symbolism. So what does this mean? I don't know what that means, biblically. <laughs> so let's just, just forget about that. What's sad, though, friends, is listen is how many of us try and deal with this ourselves. That if we could just work hard enough, if we can just try and prove to the world that I'm not a failure, that I am worth something, that if I can just make lots of money, or if I can just just keep going, and just through sheer discipline, somehow, all this stronghold, all this sin, all this filth in our lives will get dealt with by itself. And the reality is, is it won't. It'll always be there until we actually accept this exchange that Jesus offers us. Why wouldn't we accept that? If you don't know Jesus and you know you're struggling with this, man, I would be running over the pews to accept that free gift 
that comes through coming to Jesus and simply saying, Lord, I am sorry for this. Please forgive me. Create a new identity. Man, that's good news. That's good news, isn't it? And for those Christians, those of you who feel like there's just too much of this in your life, I want you to just ask yourself a question. Are you believing the lies that this brings? Because if you just spend, like just, if you just went to Ephesians chapter one and look through Ephesians as to everything that it says that you are as a Christian, man, it's full of this. And if you dwell on this, and you think about this, and you pray this, and you worship this, and you get into community, like Pastor Phil said last week, then this gets brighter and brighter and fuller and louder and drowns this out. You see, those strongholds lose their power. And that's transformation. The greatest need we have is to have our hearts transformed. And I'm going to pray for you in a second. And maybe you, you've looked at this and visually you've kind of gone, man, I've, I've never really thought of it in that way. It's not so much the visual that I'm encouraging you with. It's the truth. That there are men and women and boys and girls and young adults in this, in this church house that will testify. This is a wonderful place to be. And they came from a point of hopelessness. You're tired of self-medicating the behaviors and thoughts. Maybe you've gone a few weeks without the habit lifting itself up again and snarling at you. That's exactly what the enemy wants. Maybe you're done with that. Can I just tell you, discouragingly and encouragingly, until you lose faith in yourself as to being able to fix this, until you lose faith in yourself, you won't find faith in Christ. You will not fix yourself. You can self-medicate the self-medication. Won't work. You'll always feel that. But as Jesus says, new identity, is it time for a new start? Christians, what lies are you believing? Chew on, get into the scripture, remind yourselves who you are in Jesus Christ, how God sees you. Soak yourself in the truth. It's a beautiful thing. For those of you who don't know Jesus, as we worship, and even as I pray in a second, I would encourage you, it's so simple and so profound. Father, forgive me. Jesus, change me. And as you confess that, as you pray that, the Bible says that he is faithful to forgive you. And there'll be people at the end of the service, I have to shoot off to go and preach all this again at the south in a few minutes, but there'll be people here who would love to pray with you. Give you something to read. Christians, get into your Bible. Get into community. And you'll see that transformation happen that I've described here today. Does that sound good? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, These truths are so foundational. But Lord, even though they're foundational, we never move past them. 
I thank you, Lord, that you want us to stay camped out on your gospel. Jesus, I thank you for the gift that you willingly gave to the eye so that we, those who believe in you, could not only have eternal life, but could be transformed, could have a new identity. And Lord, I just pray now for every Christian in this room, every person who's given their lives over to you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that there would be a, an unction in them, that Holy Spirit, you would, you would draw them to yourself again, that they would fan that flame, that Lord, that they would seek you out and read and worship and pray and get into community, that it would become their priority, Lord, their ultimate. Lord, that for those who are still struggling with the weight of sin, those who have never given, never submitted, their lives to you. Lord, I pray that you would do the work only you can do. Even as we worship, that Lord, your word says the gospel